Yes. Good, Sir Knight. You have proved your worth on the field of honor. <laughs> and now you must prove yourself in mortal combat with a monster so terrifying, so awe-inspiring, so horrible, so soul-destroying that even I would hesitate to meet it face to face in hand to hand combat. Is that all right? Yes, I suppose so, my darling. Yes. And so, go forth and slay the beast. <laughs> and take with you the royal blessings. And also the blessings of Mother Church. Bishop! listening to they must be destroyed on site the following podcast contains adult language adult situations and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often you've been warned now take it away dr roush they must be destroyed on site Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 235. And I'm your host, Lee. Darker than anyone had ever expected, Russell. I'm joined by my co-host, Lee, a nun in the guise of the devil, Hardy. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Excellent. <laughs> and, we, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we have a special guest, Vaughn, the devil in the guise of a nun, Kuhlmeyer, how are you doing, Hello. sir? <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> uh, I've actually never heard anybody say my own name outside of uh, podcasting before, so that's uh, different. Yeah, I, I, do- I, I doxed uh, poor Vaughn in, in the show. And it's no big deal. Yeah. I mean, like, I, what, who's going to come for me? I mean, come on. Um, uh, maybe, maybe Matt from Movie Melt, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe right? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we're going to be doing uh, Jabberwocky from 1977. Uh, mm-hmm. I I just gave our movie list to Vaughn. I was like, come on the show, pick a movie. And he picked this one. So uh, that's what we're doing. Yep. We're going to have a talk about that a little bit later on. But first, we're going to get into what we've watched lately. So I will throw it over to you, Vaughn. Okay, so the Chattanooga Virtual Film Festival is going on right now. And one of the things that they were promoting on it was the Kayla Janice directed Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror. Mm. Um, It's a documentary. It's a three-hour documentary. So it's pretty in-depth about the whole concept and history of folk horror within every genre, not just the British horror, American, South African, all of it. Mm. It's, It's really comprehensive. Um, and I kind of knew about it because there's a bunch of people I follow, a lot of writers, and some some people I'm friendly with are in it. So I've, heard, I've known about it for a couple of 
like a year and a half or something like that. He's been doing the festival circuit. Severin owns the release, so it'll get okay. a Blu-ray at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's really comprehensive. You know, it kind of goes into all that stuff. It goes into like, you know, it kind of starts of it. Of like, it goes into Czech horror, kind of Czech folk horror and stuff like that. Oh, it's, it's a real fun documentary. It's, it's kind of hard to watch on your computer screen. So like I took it in chunks, like hour chunks. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, it was worth it. Definitely worth checking out. Oh yeah, I, I saw on your uh, your letterbox uh, mm-hmm. that you had watched that. I but then I immediately stuck it on my uh, watch my watch list. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope that when Severn does release it, like when they do these kind of documentaries, like they did the one on anthology documentary last year, and they put out a bunch of anthology films, like really hard to hard to find ones, that they'll do that. And they've, mm-hmm. already, they've already put the Mark of the Devil out, which is a really great full car from around the same time of uh, the Wicker Man and um, Witchfinder General. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the one out of those three that people don't really talk about, but I hope that they put out some like really obscure, weird stuff because they've already put out Viv, the uh, the Czech, is it Czech or Polish folk horror film, which is a really interesting little film about a priest getting stuck in a in a, in a rotten cathedral with a witch for an evening. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting. Uh, right on. But yeah, I had a good time with it. If if they're really going after folk horror stuff yeah. to release, like maybe they can. I don't know if the BBC even still has half of the shit, but like a lot of the kind of BBC stuff that was on TV and stuff in the yeah, in that's the one of the things. They, one of the one of the good half hour of the episodes of the documentaries about those like Mr. James Christmas mm-hmm. horror movies and stuff like that that they would do because a lot of those are reminiscent. Uh, you know, a lot of folklore from you know the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and they didn't have scenes from it, so but I don't know how they didn't you know they look like television quality, but you know, you yeah, know. they they did a lot of television stuff like um what's his name Nigel Neal or whatever, mm-hmm. yep. um so you know he yeah, had stuff like the the stone tapes and and, and yeah, things like that. That's, which are, that's definitely yeah. one one on that documentary on documentary I I put I put on my uh on my letterbox to watch whenever I can find it. Right on, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it is it is really good. Anything else? I've been podcasting all week. <laughs> like I, I did a, I did 36 Chambers of Shaolin with uh, Brady from Solid Six and Daniel oh, yeah. from the Mustachioed Podcastio. Mm-hmm. Um, they both say hello, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> hello, gentlemen. And then, I, and then I did a, an episode with Mike Justice on two kind of better known Bond um, kind of spoofs, I guess, your parodies. Uh, okay. Casino Royale from 67 and mm-hmm. Never Say Never Again from 83. Oh yeah, yeah. Because Mike has a thing for Sean Connery, so we were like, I was, and I just kind of knew he'd get a kick out of Casino Royale, which he did. So it was a good time. And then you asked me at the beginning of the week for this, and I was like, Oh, great, awesome. Let's just let's just keep rolling. You know? <laughs> Might as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, actually. Uh, if it works out uh, next week's episode, um, Daniel from the Mustache Podcast is going to be on the show. So yeah, yeah, you might want to you might start bringing that up to him because we were talking about that um, on the show, not on like off air. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how he drunken text podcasts and discusses recording with them, and then wakes up the next day and goes, "Wait, what?" He's done that with me too a couple times with his show. Where I'm like, hey, "We're still doing this, right?" He's like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> yeah, dude. So. yeah no when when i came on the show uh for uh, street law it was yeah. like almost spur of the moment he was like i totally forgot homie this yeah. like <laughs> yeah, no right right yeah okay um all right uh lady lee uh so for my film class this week i had to watch boyhood 
which is the movie that they recorded uh, in the span of 12 years. Mm-hmm. So they just used the same actors and just kept them and yeah, used like the actual lifespan. So there's no real uh, storyline to it. You're just kind of following the life and times yeah. of uh, the one actor. And movie itself, it's not my kind of movie. It's very slow going, but the concept is insanely interesting because you do actually see the evolution of all of the actors. Like yeah. you see them uh, create a bond. So when from the young children to like the graduation day to the uh, the emotions of the actors, like every time they kind of hit a milestone in their life, uh, it felt really real because mm-hmm. they had bonded for so long because they had worked together for so long. Um, and all the scenes felt very real as well. Like they felt very natural because... Uh, they've been connecting for 12 years so and uh, they've been working on these characters for so long that it the actual acting was it was brilliant like it was a very clever very interesting concept very different not my kind of movie but i definitely encourage people to go watch it (laughs) the the one thing i remember about that film is that patricia arquette and ethan hawk don't age like it just seems like they're the same look Maybe the hair just to get the gray hair. A yeah, bit. the hair, like, the style changes their hair, but yeah, they look the same in the twelve in that twelve year period. It's like holy shit. Yeah, they even said they didn't want to use any makeup, like too much makeup right. to cover. Yeah, they the make aging. them look very natural, which is really cool. Yeah, but, but <laughs> it's because it, they wanted to show the aging, but there's yeah. barely any aging considering no. like what he got gray hair. Yeah, but the, the, just... the kid, the kid who's in the film is definitely the one where it's like. You can tell as they progress. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But they go from like very young children to adolescent. To, uh, Is that the only Linklater film you've ever seen? Richard Linklater? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of his films are kind of like that. They're kind of just lo- loungy, kind of take their time, mm. you know. Um, so it's like, if you're not particularly into that, you may not be into most of his work. <laughs> I appreciate the art. I think uh, I'm happy that I got to watch it because I got to experience it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because with these kinds of movies, I tend not to watch them. And now that I'm forced to watch them, I get to appreciate it because right. there is such a different thing about it. It's not like any other movie. It's very yeah. original. So happy that I got to watch it. Would I ever watch it again? No. Would I recommend it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Cool. So Vaughn, since yeah. you are great us for the first time on this podcast you get to take part in a little game that we do called movie god are you a god (laughs) when someone asks you if you're a god you say yes movie god That goes on a little too long, that clip. Um, yeah, so are you familiar with the movie God game? Yes, Bob? I listen yes. to the show every week. So I, okay, when you have okay. new guests on, it's, it's, a, it's a good little segment. Okay, so it, for anyone who might be like a first-time listener, uh, basically what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give Vaughn two things. It's either going to be like two people. They could be actors, uh, writers, directors, even composers, or it could be two movies. It could be sort of anything that's film-related, and he's got to choose one of them to be ripped out of the timeline. It no longer exists. Anything it influenced or ha- is responsible for Shit. in its wake is gone. So yeah. oh, it's, it's a kind of, it's a kind of kill your darlings yeah. uh, kind of thing. I feel, I feel like you put a lot of thought to this one because mine, I, I felt like there's less thought yours. This one feels like there's more thought because you know I'm a lot better than you did me when yeah, I started. Yeah. And I'm, I haven't had the best of luck lately with this game. Yeah. I was telling Vaughn off offline, but here, here's the thing. I'm taking a 
kind of a gamble with this one. I'm, I'm like, either this is going to be really hard or it's going to be like, oh, no, just again, instantly. No, oh, no, he's dead. He's dead. Okay. I'm so one, one of the uh, one of the cool things about your podcast, yeah. Vaughn, is that you uh, have your little uh, Easter Fulci uh, yeah. series every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to pick this, Vaughn. You are the movie god. And you must eliminate from the timeline either Lucio Fulci or Mario Bava. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, they're both around the same time, and like mm-hmm. Fulci just lived longer. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, Bava's work, it's all out there. Uh, I don't know. Like, the thing is, I I I've read plenty of about Bava. Like Tim Lucas is like one of these kind of guys that I read constantly. It's always talking about him, always writing about him. He's got a huge fucking book that's just it's like a it's a door killer. Um <laughs> but like like if like it's like some people it's easy. Like it was Argento, Fulci, get rid of Argento. No offense. I mean like I just I just yeah. He he's run his course. Like it's there's stuff that he's still making. He stopped making good movies after a certain period and he just somebody yeah. keeps giving him money and just keeps making movies. <laughs> and just ugh. I mean, Argent and uh, Fulci, you know, he was getting to that point, but then he died of uh, diabetes-related issues. Um, so, like, the world took him out um, before he got a chance to really be shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I like the... Because Bobo was such a kind of, like, not one note, but his stuff was so atmospheric, but it was always... And it's such an interesting to watch. And, and But the thing is, you can't... I can actually cut out Bava... Right, because Argento stuff is so, because he was such a no Argento, uh, Fulci. He was a such a workman. He did mm-hmm. everything. He did a ton of comedies, which I'm still trying to find more and more of them. I keep finding them on YouTube in like Portuguese. Yeah, cut. like I'm like what? <laughs> I just no subtitles dubbed in Portuguese, and I'm like I'm like okay, like sure, I'll watch some of this, and I you know put it on the TV and just kind of pan and just look up every ten minutes because I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> but like. I mean, if I get rid of Bava, you don't have Umberto Bava, so that kind of sucks. A, yeah, I was about to bring that, that up. It's sucks. like you got to consider yeah. that as well, right? Yeah, and does. and also um, does uh, what's his name, Mikel, uh, Mikel Suave? Suave, I guess yeah. so. Again, eh, I mean, Joe D'Amato was a big fan. Was a worked a lot with uh, with Slavi. Slavi worked with him a lot when he first came in, and that's kind of how he got a got his foot in the door. Um, and like our, and and Fulci too because he's in the city living dead, um, mm-hmm. so fuck. But there's so many good like mm, fuck. <laughs> Did it right. There yeah, you go, Lee. This is, this is, there, <laughs> finally. Yeah, because it's just like. But I think like I'm, I'm I I love like Fulci for like not just his films. I like I like his principles. I like the fact that he was this Henri angry bastard. You know, you look up any interview with him, he just says he just puts his foot down, even though he wasn't, he's not a, you know, he's not a, he's a good director and he knows what he's doing and his stuff is fun, but he puts it off as he's making art. Like he's fucking the next Pasolini. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, and he's like, you know, they're shit, they're shit, they're shit. I don't like them. And it's like, it's like, okay, sure, dude, you get it. And like, and he was kind of a typical Italian. He, he didn't like the church. You know, most of a lot of his films they kind of bring around the church or any kind of religious iconography is kind of spit upon. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, fuck though. Then you get rid of Alberto Bala. It's like, fuck. You, you gotta kind of argue that. At least I would argue that you know 
mm-hmm. there was an Abava, you what would Italian horror be? Uh, you know, there's the thing is even with Baba being there, he he kind of his stuff is on a pedestal all, all its own. You have all these other guys. You have the mm-hmm. You have um, what's it? Um, you have Lindsay. You have all these other guys running around underneath him. Right, yeah. his stuff is there, and but then there's other guys like you know, like Pasolini, like I said, and like um, fuck, uh, <laughs> you know, you have all these other great Italian directors who are higher than him, mm-hmm. right? And you're just like, but I can kind, of, it's just fucking Berto Baba. That's the thing is where I'm like, like I can live without Mario's movies because they're they're cool to watch, but sometimes I just completely lose the track of what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm like pretty, pic- <laughs> I'm like pretty pictures, like. But like Umberto Bob was just such a beautiful trash meister that it's just like oh fuck because <laughs> uh, like you get rid of him you get rid of dad it's like uh, you don't get stupid shit like uh, Paganini horror and stuff you know, that, you, know, <laughs> you don't get stuff like that it's like fuck and like oh, shit <laughs> you stopped him <laughs> that sucks that, sucks. Uh. that really does suck because it's like it's a it's a catch twenty two regardless. You know, like yeah, you get rid of like you know a, ha- a shitload of really interesting films, and you get ri- you get rid of a son who made even more bonkers and weirder films than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, fuck. But then if you get rid of Fulci, well then if you get rid of Fulci, you get rid of like fifty five percent of the uh, the horror audience. You know what I mean? Like because they're all like, mm-hmm. and they're all whiners and just ugh. <laughs> so they like, get rid of like half the country, half the world. They're like one okay crazy director. Fuck. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for like mass genocide when it comes to a reason or a good reason, not like you know the Holocaust. That's awful. <laughs> but like getting rid of whiny assholes online, it might actually be a good idea. Like, mm. good shit, that sucks. Uh, I know, and somebody else would be like, oh, "It's easy, fucking Fulci. Why would you say nothing else?" But it's like, uh, fuck, that sucks. No, no, that's just oh, that's a tough one. No, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. You can't do it. I can't. No, because I like I said, like I I love Fulci's work, his attitude, the whole kind of nine yards, you know, and the fact that his kids continued pushing his me- his memory, his legacy, and people mm-hmm. continue to, you know, every kind of indie director nowadays takes something from his work, the violence or the craziness or whatever. But then they also do it with with uh, Baba's work with Mario Baba's more you know contemporary horror directors take stuff from from his work, the kind of mm-hmm. visuals and whatnot. It's like fuck. <laughs> that sucks, man. That sucks. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Like, no, I can't. I can't. T- I couldn't take any of them out. Fuck. Okay. Okay. That's, fair enough. We're we're gonna call the draw then. I think, Shit. I think Lee's really proud right now. Like I'm a little. I'm, I'm, li- I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm Good a little job. happy with myself right now. Yeah, I am. I'm yeah, that was a, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, you know normally, the reason why he's accepting like this because he's like, yes, I stopped. Yeah, I know he's gonna stop, he's gonna get off and he's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're gonna happy as shit for Fuck next week. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Uh, well, fair enough. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play a podcast promo from a certain podcast that a certain person on this podcast is on. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Jabberwocky. You ungodly warlock. Motion Picture Massacre is dedicated to exploitation, cult, grindhouse, and horror films from the last 7,500 fucking years. I don't fucking know. It's everything. If you're interested in that, check out motionpicturemasker.com or if you're on iTunes, search Motion Picture Massacre and you'll find it. This has been your announcer, Cowardly Fuck Your Bags, signing off.
eat a dick. You ungodly warlock. Jabberwocky from 1977, and we have a trailer here. that no one will be admitted to the theater until the last 10 minutes of the film. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Only 10 people will be admitted to the theater during this film. No, no, no one will be admitted to the theater during this. The last 10 minutes only will be anyone being admitted under the age of 10. The irony is uh, being, I think, only 10 people actually watched it when it first came out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jabberwocky, directed by Terry Gilliam, written by Charles Alverson, who also uh, uncredited on Terry Gilliam's Brazil in yeah, the first uh, draft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and like for the longest time, Terry Gilliam was like, no, he had nothing to do with it. No, not so, until like the last like ten years, twenty years, he's actually been like, yeah, maybe he had something to do with it. Mm. <laughs> and and here, here's the thing: this is what I love about this Charles Alverson guy. His only other real credit is yeah. a second seaman in N- the ninja mission from 1984. He just has a bit part as an actor, which I, I have no, I've never seen this movie, so no. I don't know. I actually want to not find it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he looks like, so, but it's still like hmm, weird, mm. but uh, he, he just died in 2020, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it's of course also written by Terry Gilliam and it's based on the poem by Lewis Carroll. It's just a nonsense poem basically yeah. uh you know alice in wonderland and all that bullshit mm-hmm. um so we have uh michael palin everybody knows the fuck he is uh as dennis cooper harry h corbett as the squire uh ethel and mm-hmm. this was interesting to me because i hadn't realized until now i just made the connection that his like his last film credit was silver dream racer from 1980 which is this really boring <laughs> movie about 
motorcycle racing that has one of the most spectacular like harrowing endings ever where i've seen that i know what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah. yeah. um and i was like okay yeah Yeah, he was in that beautiful fucking bummer (laughs) it is it's a real bummer what the fuck it's just like a total total shift uh john lee misser as pasaloo uh warren mitchell as fishfinger Mm-hmm. And at Badland is Grisilda Fishfinger. Um, and I've seen her in other stuff. I think she was in, um, she's acted like what right up to the 2000s. Yeah I, yeah. I think I saw her in like the first, uh, you know, the new Doctor Who series with. Yeah, um, she's in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, she played one she's of in Willy the, Wonka, the, the hell, the Burton version. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Max Wall is King Bruno the Questionable and also the voice of Red Herring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Deborah Fallender as the princess uh, who shows us her naughty bits in, in this film, at least a little bit. Jared Wells is what Dabney. Uh, Bernard yeah. Breslau is the landlord. Rodney Buse is the other squire. John Bird is first herald. Neil Ines. Uh, Neil Ines, yeah. Neil Innes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, he's sort of Monty Python associated kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, Terry Jones, just a bit part here is the poacher. He unfortunately just died last year. And yeah, and I instant, I think died two years prior to that, three years prior to that. Yeah. Well, this year, I forget when. when. And it, it, it's like 2020 is the last year now. Like it feels like it didn't happen oh, yeah. almost, no. you know, kind of. But um, yeah, Terry Jones. Ter- and it's died in 2019. Ah, there you so, go. Yeah. Yeah. And Terry Jones, like, was suffering from dementia in the last couple of years oh, too, yeah, which awful. is yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian Glover is uh, the armorer. Graham Crowden is fanatics leader. Terry Gilliam in here is man with rock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, David Prowse, Darth Vader himself, at least the physical uh, embodiment of Darth Vader as red herring and the black Knight. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we have a synopsis here from someone called Nick Reganis yep. on IMDb. Bent on proving his worth and impress his one true love, Griselda Fishfinger, the wide-eyed Cooper apprentice Dennis enters the impregnable gates of King Bruno the Questionable's medieval city. There, mud and terror unveil inv- the city as the very thought of an abomination, abominable nightmarish creature lurking somewhere outside the stronghold's towering walls strikes fear in the hearts of men. Under those dire circumstances, only a jousting contest can determine the realm's defender. And for the first time in a long while, Ordinary Dennis is the master of his destiny. Now immense riches and a glorious grand prize await the beast slayer. However, can Dennis rid the walled city of the terrible dragon, the Jabberwocky? I think this guy had the same fucking... I think the same guy had the synopsis for the thing we did the other night there, Lee. The... uh, The uh, uh, promising, promising young one? woman. <laughs> woman. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I think, I, I think it was. It's the same style. It's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna really play this up on the back of the like box. It's a DVD. Mm-hmm. Like I'm reading mm-hmm. off a DVD or VHS. Sorry, VHS back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the one uh, thing about this film is that it's a PG rated film. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a great thing about the 80s. That, or 70s actually um, is that you get a PG rated film and you get all of the beauty that's in this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. So when was the first time you saw this, Vaughn? Um, probably when I was like, like, was it twelve or thirteen? I got into actually got into the Pythons through Faulty Towers. Mm-hmm. Faulty Towers was on PBS all the time when we yeah. got home from school, right? And my friend and I would just watch it. We thought it was funniest thing while we were doing our homework. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, what is this? And then like, I started seeing episodes for for Python, and then like 
one of my other friends was like, oh, you have to see anything with he, what did they think we saw Meaning of Life or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Meaning of Life. And it's just like, okay. And I was just in, right? And just found anything I could find at the at the local movie, the local video house that had any of these guys' names in it, mm-hmm. right? And it was just, there's some, you know, Palin's kind of question. Palin's, out of all those guys, Palin's got the most films because mm-hmm. um, he kind of continued working. Um, everybody else kind of either did television or died. Um, like, yeah, I, I came across this. I think I had seen Time Bandits, and I wanted. And I was looking for something else, and I saw this. And Jabberwocky is, you know, uh, a word that I know from reading. And it's like, oh, okay, fine. Let's take mm-hmm. that. And, and I just kind of blew my little head off. Just, oh, <laughs> you know, Time Bandits kind of made me a fan of Gilliam, but this film kind of really cemented that because this is his first actual like without the well with the pythons are in there but i not a python filled film right 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 there wasn't um, as many either well yeah like him and terry jones would take a uh, place that the first film and then they kind of gave jones the rights and then let gilliam do all the art because they were having too many fights <laughs> <laughs> and you know the way it starts with the with with jones warming around the and poaching the uh the, and then getting ripped asunder <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see he, he gets pulled up in the air from the you know in a crane and making faces and then you see his body all spewed out and you're like wait this is a pg rated film really this this gore prince you know bit up corpse just laying out there okay fine and it just it's you know it's about a humble guy who wants to just live a decent life mm-hmm. and he's you know he doesn't even care like he he's he's courting a woman who has no interest in him at all like she's all she wants to do is eat and just hang out like she doesn't mm-hmm. There's, you know, she she shows no interest in him at all, and it just it's funny how shit just goes right for him just because he's in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I assume this is the first time watch for you, Lee. Actually, yeah, surprisingly, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. just because uh, I kind of grew up on Monty Python because my dad's uh, my dad's from England, so that was like the movie we watched as a kid was uh, Holy Grail. So <laughs> mm-hmm. actually, funny story. One time my sister was at school and uh, she, I can't remember how old she was, but she was in elementary school and she was pretty young and she was running around screaming, spank me, spank me. And we'll all have oral sex. (laughs) 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 She had no idea, but my parents got a call. (laughs) (laughs) I was not, I was, I I think I was still a twinkle in my dad's eye at that point, but um, my parents (laughs) tell me that story all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And then they look down in shame and go, she hasn't changed at all. She's you, a lot less fun now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I uh, used to like her at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dad, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or just don't let your other daughter listen to it. Because <laughs> I know she. Because I, I know she's just in the other room. So. Um, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just keep it on really quiet. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah. Anyways, first time watch, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is pretty surprising. Oh, by the way, Mister, I'm gonna give the God thing to Vaughn. What would your answer be? Trying to dodge the oh, question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Goddamn. It, it, yeah. It is a tough one, isn't it? It's is a tough one. Um. <laughs> fuck. I like it's just a, it's a lot of ankles. <laughs> it's just like like you pull one out, you're pulling a lot out. I think if it if push came to shove, I could probably live without Fulci a little bit more. I know, 
I know. <laughs> but then, they, like I said, you get a lot of people gone in the in the world. You know, I mean, every fucking different. They get like the snap, like fucking Thanos, just mm-hmm. uh, tons of people gone. Because you know why? Great. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I, I love Fulci, but the amount of stuff I love from Bava is a little bit more than Fulci, I guess, is, is kind yeah, of where I leave it. But I so, sure. And there's still, and I mean, it is as unique as Fulci is. There's still a lot of other people that sort of come in the wake of Bava that uh, do all the same kind of trashy stuff to some degree, at the very least. Right. Not not like Fulci does it necessarily, but yeah. Although when you think about it, if you didn't have uh, didn't have Fulci, you wouldn't probably. You might. Well, you would probably have Zombie too. But it'd probably be vastly different. Oh yeah, and who knows what that would mean for uh, Romero going forward too, as far mm-hmm. as his stuff. So yeah, mm. that's a, bum, bum, Jesus. Bum. Jesus, that's a difficult fucking question. <laughs> I didn't well, even because re- you like jumped right into it. Because last I time when I did it, you guys like discussed your answers and was like, "Hold on a second, you're not avoiding this." Uh, I, <laughs> I didn't even realize. I didn't realize what I what kind of. Jesus, I opened up the next. You were just so desperate on stumping somebody. <laughs> yeah, I opened up the fucking unholy book and spoke the words without even Pandora's thinking about it. Pandora's box. <laughs> box man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, definitely not a first time watch for me, but um, this, this is one of the films I first saw on A and E. And the interesting thing about this is that it was back in the period where A and E didn't really give a shit about censoring movies like they were they were kind of you know not they, if it said pg it's fine we'll just play it at three o'clock in the afternoon and then just let it let it roll mm-hmm. and so this is so i saw this basically uncut except for commercial breaks on a and e and you got you got all the gore you got the 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 naughty bits with the princess there and that one yeah scene. but it's not really like that huge like that's not a huge scene no i overlook that and i kind of overlooked it like when now you they see- would cut that out Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he would have a field day if anybody cut his films. Uh, <laughs> he'd be at the fucking gates with the with the uh, just crazy. Um, but yeah, but it's like for a PG film, it's really dark. It's mm-hmm. really violent. Even though like he shows it off, and it's but it's comedic in a way. Yeah, like, you have like just crazy like, Yeah, just he pulls it off for comedy, but it's definitely dark comedy. Right. He has a way of uh, telling stories in a comedic way, and he has a way yeah. of kind of expressing life issues in a mm-hmm. comedic way. Because if you look at all like the Monty Python movies, and if you look at all the other ones, it tells an actual story about the realities and the struggles of today, right. now, yeah. or whatever, um, mm-hmm. in the most uh, outlandish, odd, artistic, comedic way. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Like this, just he's got this talent to do that. Like he's. Uh, He's very, uh, he's very creative. I mean, to be honest, as he's gotten older, I mean, the last five years, he's been very kind of provocative. <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, and I think he's just doing it as a, as a, like a gimmick. I don't think he's really doing it like just to kind of piss people off, but people are, you know, so sensitive nowadays that they just don't understand that it's, it's someone fucking with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he went off this whole thing about like, uh, what is it? He was cool. He wanted to be a, he wanted to be called a, uh, uh, he was like referring to him as a black woman in, in interviews when um, his last film came out, um, and people were just like not understanding the the jokes that he was pulling off. Like, he was just fucking with the with the because it was so in this because he's been in the UK since pretty much 
around the pythons he's never he gave up his citizenship like 20 years ago maybe mm-hmm. um and he you know he just doesn't get the how the culture but he's just playing he's playing it off as a gag like he's he's doing a gimmick and they, and people are just like you know standing on their you know soapboxes you you know, demanding that he's apologized. He's like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very you know? big line pusher. Yeah. Like, he's, like, he's always been like that. He's, as he can. Yeah, he absolutely has. He's been, um, like, he's been always like that with everything he does, especially this, this film is being the start. You can definitely see the kind of stuff that he likes to talk about through every film. Right. And he, Cause mm-hmm. it starts with here and like the like commerce and, you know, like, uh, like all that kind of stuff is just right there. It's just very, um, very critical of government and yeah. like this, like monarch- monarchy and, like and bureaucracy. Yeah. And, and it's, and he did, he doesn't even do it so much in the uh, actual dialogue as he does in just the visuals where yeah. everything in the castle is decrepit, ruined, <laughs> falling apart. Like the, the towers just falling, you know, yeah. just yeah. in the West tower. Yeah. We'll, we'll have your in bridal suite tower. in the Western tower and in the <laughs> West tower falls. Not only is the entire castle old and decrepit, so is the King, right? It's just, everything is depicted as that. Yeah, and you have and, a character like our main character who is more interested in trying to figure out the easier way to do things within the jobs mm-hmm. he gets put in, like with his father as the Cooper, he's more interested in worrying about the inventory. Mm-hmm. I was like, you checked it in the morning. Like, you don't need to check it now. And when he forces him to kind of apprentice him, he just rolls his eyes at his father. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just see the man is just not wanting, it. and you can understand why he would curse a pox on him and not and disown <laughs> him. Yeah, yeah. There's this whole um, modern business practices versus traditional uh, craftsmanship and like you know uh, artisanal workmanship yeah. kind of thing that's sort of going on at the beginning there especially and and you know he doesn't he doesn't necessarily like linger on these points either he just kind of like he gives you a, he gives you almost like a vignette about it yeah well, and well, it kind of moves on bureaucracy i think is a big thing about this film mm-hmm. and how the people who run everything don't really know what the fuck they're doing right? yeah. and they just kind of wake up in the morning and have an agenda and want to do it and if that means it ruins people's lives, eh. Mm. That was I mean? actually, like there's, this whole yeah. jo- there's this whole joust going through the whole film because the, they have to find a, a, a knight to take on the Jabberwocky. And, and everybody's like, why do we need to do this? Like, why can't we just pick something? Who wants to do it? And then go do it. Like, why do we have mm-hmm. to have this day on day about jousting matches where people are just being murdered <laughs> viciously? <Yeah. you> know? <laughs> just Maybe to find one find guy who else. survived the whole thing. Like, why don't we just, hey, you have 10 guys, hey, which one wants to go, and then those guys go out, try to do it, and then whoever actually does it comes back and gets what gets gets the reward. Mm-hmm. And just you know, and there's people all around the the king constantly going, "Why are we doing this?" It's, and at times uh, he's like, "Eh, maybe you're right," and then he's like, "No, we need to do this." He wakes up the next day and just his mindset about continuing it. It's a really interesting point that you bring up too, because when they talk about uh, just in general how a lot of um, people try to like cut corners and try to do different yep. things differently, while someone who does the job and knows how to do it the way they do it, mm-hmm. it's great that there could be a way that shortens the time. But if you're forced to try and make changes, yep. you create chaos. So like that one scene in the armory where he's like, "If you just move it here," mm-hmm. and that one step just caused this whole domino effect <laughs> of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of that's basically showing that in just the world, like the actual business, the working world, mm-hmm. that when you take something, and you try to cut corners and you try to take things away and say, like, oh, we're making it easier for you. But 
changing what you're used to and being forced to do it, yeah. it causes a lot of tension. It causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of anger, uh-huh. like just in general. Because if you tell somebody, like even if you think about it, like just your drive to work every day, you got your same path every day. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they decide we're going to close this road and you have to go around. How pissed <laughs> off do you get? <laughs> So that's just basically like what you saw. You saw like the people who are basically forced to change things when they're so used to knowing what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's and no is- like, yeah, there's no uh, rhyme or reason for the change. It's just, I want to change it. So you should do it. Yeah. But, just, and- but it's like, there's no, up, there's no middle management. So everybody he does this to, they just kind of take him and throw him out of the room. Cause they're like, mm-hmm. Get out. we don't need you here. Like there's mm-hmm. no reason to change these things. You know, I mean, somebody was with work and whatnot. Like I, I work for, you know, a government business um and you can definitely tell like the older guys i work with get annoyed with the little things they change on us every week or every month mm-hmm. right and it's just like but everybody else like all you know we're all younger we adapt and move on but these older guys are just so used to doing it the same t- way the same all the time so you can definitely tell like the frustration and stuff like that and it's not intentional they're not doing it they're doing it because it saves money or it saves time or whatever um, and it's just the same thing with this. You can, he, you know, he clearly moves. He's like, you can do this and it will save you 10 seconds or whatever the hell it is. And he's like, I don't want to save 10 seconds. I'm used to doing it the same way I'm doing it all the time. Mm. Right. And, uh, it's, the, just and it's just like with the tournament, the tournament is something you get every year. So why change it? Like, who cares? Mm. Like, who, like, why are we arguing about this? Let's continue doing it. You know, and even at the end when the, the, you know, the king kind of comes to his senses and like, yeah, what is, what's the point of this? <laughs> like, and it's already pretty much figured out. You know how the the Black Knight is won, and he's the one who's going to go off and fight the, the hide and go seek contest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it's brilliant to set that kind of discussion in a mm-hmm. in in the time period that this is you yeah, know the, ostensibly set in dark ages. Yeah, a feudal system where everybody has their set role, right? Uh-huh. You know, and you don't punch out of your weight class. Basically, yeah. you're you're but always. Doing There's what that scene when he gets into town and he sees the beggar and just cut off his foot, right? Mm-hmm. And he finds out that he's actually the same. He does the same job really well that his father used to do. And he explains mm-hmm. to you, and you know, he says, "I was a cooper in assistant." He's like, "Oh, so was I was a cooper." And he's like, and he goes, "You know, but I make more money and I do better sitting here begging." And he and he deliberately, and then later in the film, he actually cuts off his other foot because mm-hmm. it does <laughs> it will, it, it'll better him overall and how much and what he makes. Which is just like okay, and that's another idea. Like what you're saying, like guys, people who who are working on something, pro, you know, that they pride worth, that they're not really getting the respect for what they make. That they rather do something easier, like begging, mm-hmm. and make more money off of it. Which is just kind of like it's bog. It's it, it's it's humorous because it's you know it's it's just like oh. Ugh. Makes me uh, makes me think of like the uh, the sort of trustafarian kind of thing where you know <laughs> rich kids like dress up and and you know street uh-huh. clothes and go down the street and beg and make more money than they uh-huh. would make at their Starbucks job or wherever the fuck yeah, they're or even going, working you know? for their father or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. which shows like an issue in general because mm-hmm. like why would somebody someone's willing to cut off their foot in order to make money yeah. instead mm-hmm. of actually working means that there's something wrong with the system yeah but uh, I thought uh, also just it shows how right place, right time, a little bit of luck. You can absolutely end up on top, but that's the thing. Right place, right time happens to the one person. Cause the other guy who is more higher qualified mm-hmm. couldn't find anything that could really help him get anywhere other than begging. Yeah. And then you see uh, Michael Palin who ends up 
becoming a prince entirely <laughs> accidentally. Like, just, yeah, he he doesn't even want it. He's just caught up in the ceremony and the in the pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the whole society is predicated on. You know, he gets like, exactly what the wants, armor guy, armory guy dies because you know? he was squished yeah. by a bed, and then <laughs> he ends up there because he destroyed the fucking armory, and mm-hmm. then he thinks the princess thinks he's a prince because he accidentally ended up there and then he ends up killing the Jabberwocky completely by accident Uh (laughs) like it's just uh and i love okay so a big thing that i love about the endings of these movies is that they're always so disappointing like it's (laughs) never a satisfaction like there's never that satisfying conclusion like the good one is uh a holy grail like where it just completely ends just no ending whatever and this one ends like he finally gets the girl that he wants and is okay by the way hey you're marrying my daughter yeah, yeah. And you see this uh, you may see michael paley palin screaming for his love i mean while they're I running mean, away with the princess i mean technically he's way better off like, in every regard yes. because he is he, he, but even it's the, still not he, what he wants <laughs> even even though the princess is in a totally different movie like she's in the you know the the fit the medieval fantasy yeah. picture you know kind of uh-huh. thing and she totally she's just delusional as fuck but you know at least she's not a shitty person like uh, Griselda is who yeah. is just like this <laughs> lazy boring boorish just, yeah. yeah boorish Dull. thing yeah, yeah. Family, um, family fuck. who the kids piss on the right next to him as he's talking. <laughs> oh yeah, the the fucking this is they, they talk about gross out comedies now, yeah. right? This this has all of that. Like the guy shitting every, as he's talking, every, everything out. like cocked out like, the window. Yeah. And I and I like I like that aesthetic that he carries over from Holy Grail, right? Like where everything is filthy. This is like much yeah. more closer to yeah. what the middle ages would have looked like. Right. You know, yep. everybody's teeth yeah. are bad. Yeah, but, everything's but, dirty. Everything's muddy. Mm-hmm. It's gross. No one takes care the of themselves. Clothes are dirty. Like the yeah. sanitation's yeah. off. If you're like if the, you're... the pot, uh, the 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 potato that he keeps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's... And, and crumbling infrastructure and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's like okay, it's, that's perfect. It just it's not what you read in the in the you know in the books and stuff mm-hmm. like that. The fantasy or you see in the movies usually. Yeah, it's it's much more accurate and it's and it takes the piss out of like like how the British kind of look at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, they all. You know, it's it's an American's idea of what the of what of, you know from living in that country for so many years that he kind of takes heavily. And then, yeah, he he worked a lot as the art director for the Holy Grail. You know, to kind of make it. They they had their own ga- gags and whatnot, but like the kind of the look and everything like that, how dirty it was, and just like yeah, that's that's his that's his piece right there. You know, and then yeah. you get to like the Jabberwocky, which is kind of. Like um, when they when it pops up finally, because there's kind of constant scenes of just you know POV of it attacking mm-hmm. people or this, there, and another. And when you finally actually get a look of it, it's kind of exactly what you expect. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's what Carol wrote about and and what people have drawn for years about like what it looks like. Looks you know? like and a, even uh, like with the with the the Burton film, he pretty much oh, took yeah. the same kind of concept, just made it bigger and scarier looking. Mm-hmm. But it's the same. It's the same thing. You know, it's well, never changed. I, I love that even the even the the, ja- the Jabberwocky looks like haggard and old and yeah. like decrepit. Like its wings are all full of holes. It it's just looks like this. Yeah, it looks like this fucking like giant mutant rooster, basically. Right. That's been you know, gone to the ringer. But I mean, yeah. it, it it looks great. I love it. I mean, I, I love that you know 
to pull off that effect like it's all practical and shit they just yeah. had a guy in a suit walking backwards <laughs> so they could so they could get the like the chicken legged uh, kind of effect mm-hmm. you know and everything they are so. so creative like the way they use everything like the camera use and how they create a scenery and how they create atmosphere is absolutely beautiful this happened in uh holy grail life of brian and this movie as well every time like you see the in the holy grail when they have the night uh the life of brian when he uh meets the alien there's all these scenes that are so basic like on budget wise it's so basic the camera work is so well done that gets you involved like the poacher right at the beginning when you're just falling along like you feel that intensity and it's all because of the camera work it's literally just Mm -hmm. the simplicity of taking the camera and making you involved in the moment and then as soon as he's dragged up by the jabberwocky like that is so cool to watch like that is such a cool way Mm -hmm. to make you feel for terry jones as he's helplessly captured by this massive fucking monster and the great thing about it is that it's cheap it's a mm-hmm. cheap, yeah, you know, yeah. gag. It's just, it's, it's, just a, so him, it's, a, it's him on a cherry picker, pretty much, with a camera right on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it works so well. And it's just because it's Terry Jones, he makes he can make a really good face. Um, and then we just have him sitting there with you know that tore up body and his head, you know, just placed in that mound of shit. And yeah. Like, oh, it works. It works perfectly. And you know, using Palin as the main character works because he's probably out of all the pythons the most kind of. I love like, Palin. And yeah, but like, yeah, he's like the, but he's the most kind of typical kind of everyman. Everyman, you know I mean? yeah. He always mm-hmm. played that character, even when he's played certain other. You know, he's, he kind of branches out, but he's he he pulls it off. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't work if there's anyone else. If it was any other Python, it was you know it was Jones or it was Eric Idle. It wouldn't have worked at all, mm-hmm. right? Because they would have just handed it up. Right, and yeah. even like I think it was just like the. By the time they made this film, they were all kind of sick of each other, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can definitely tell, like Jones and Gilliam and Palin all kind of got along. You even you even hear interviews with them. They all talk about how they used to work all together, even when mm-hmm. Gilliam was kind mm-hmm. of doing his art and stuff like that. They, he would still kind of towel around with them, you know. And they kind of had yeah. their own little clips. It was John like, Cleese who was the asshole. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was Cleese. Yeah, Cleese was gone by this time. Yeah, he was. Just, yeah, yeah, he was gone. He was. Given up, he just was like, well, he did done. a couple things. He did Fish Called Wanda with um, a couple of years later, but he did Michael with Palin, Palin which yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, it was, it was they, they had their own little groups. Uh, Eric Idle was by himself because he didn't really write with anyone else. Jones and Palin wrote with themselves by them together, and then uh, Cleese and um, fuck, I can't believe his name, uh, <laughs> uh, Graham Chapman, yeah, Chapman. Yeah. All, I know they butted heads, like they all, they all, all, they all did their own bits together, and then they get together and then work t- things out. That's how they would write yeah. all the shows. That's how they write the movies. Um, yeah. So by the time they got to like you know that the height that they were at, they were all sick of each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the last season, John Cleese refused to be a part of it. Like yeah, the he's, he's just, uh, he, uh, flying circuses. Well, he's mm-hmm. yeah. He wrote he wrote two I think two of the sketches, but he didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want yeah. to be a, he didn't mm-hmm. want them to use names. So like the final one doesn't even have the exact same name. I think it's like yeah. called mm-hmm. Python or something. Yeah. And I I, I, I I watched those and boy are they. Yeah, they're tough because they're like they're like half hour long length of sketch. Just one sketch reaches out for the whole time, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is. They're trying something, and they're trying to see if it sticks, and it doesn't really always work. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry, I was just going to say, um, I don't know if this is a thing because uh, from every source I can see that uh, Terry Gilliam was he only sort of started doing like wanting to do his uh, never finished Don Quixote uh, movie. 
uh, like I, th- I think he first like thought about it in 1989 most yep. of the sources say but it feels like this is kind of like the the last act of this film is almost kind of a dry run for visually some of the stuff he was probably gonna you know think of using when when he when he got there kind of thing Definitely. like it, yeah. it it really really feels like it it's some of those scenes you know when there's not comedy happening it gets a really authentic looking you buy the yeah this is medieval times mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. shit's really going down kind of stuff right right um and there's no beautifying the old mm-hmm. the back yeah the, the day, only thing that really but, yeah kind of is works as a is the beautiful is the the fact that the princess is off on her own thing and she's only being mm-hmm. taken care of by all these maids and you know and mystery and people right she's off doing anything else she's pretty much kept in like a chamber to herself with right? uh, si- with sister sister jessica yeah she's got a, yeah. she got a she got a nun with her and she got all her little people who work with her pay, you know bathe her dress her and she doesn't really and the only time she really deals with the people is when they're doing the joust which you know as she people are dying in front of her which she has no real shock of, which is the mm-hmm. other thing that's been yeah, they, they get covered in blood. And they just, just get like, sprayed with blood the yeah. whole time, and you're just like, first I, I was watching, it, I looked down, and I'm like, what the hell? What? Like, what is? I'm like, eh, oh, okay, I forgot, I forgot about it. And then again, when they crash in, you see this big spray of blood as there are as the uh, you know his his um the king's the you know highest man is sitting there arguing with, why are we still doing this? Like, why? <laughs> we, it's a constant thing. Um, and I keep bringing it up, but that's it's like the one main thing in the film is that the the, the, the bureaucracy is just like we don't don't change it. Like, what's the point of changing it? Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's like kind of cool how they brought up the force change and then the needing of change that's not changed. Mm-hmm. So that's I th- okay. So I think a big thing with all these type of movies, like the uh, ter- Terry and uh, Michael Palin and Terry Jones, the movies that they write. Uh-huh. are always so boundary pushing. Like I know Life of Brian, I think is still banned in a couple of states because mm. uh, it's against uh, the Messiah, but un- it's not even about the Messiah. It's about a wrongful Messiah. Mm-hmm. But how they bring up religion and how they bring up politics and how they bring up the stuff. These movies are hilarious to watch. Like I watched these as a kid and I had no idea about religion and politics and all this kind of stuff. And I thought they were funny visually and funny just to like watch in general. Yeah. And then as you you get older these movies are absolutely genius these movies bring up topics in such a way like they bring up such ideas and uh concepts and uh just i i think i just said ideas i'm blanking yeah. but anyways double ideas <laughs> double ideas double the ideas <laughs> they bring it up so well like they do it in such a comedic way yeah. that it can be appreciated from all ages. Well, when they, and when too young, but we still watched it. Uh, But yeah, too young to watch this, but still appreciate it because it's just this ridiculousness around it. And you gotta, you gotta remember too, when they were doing their stuff in their heyday, this is a time when uh, institutionalized religion was still a real strong yep. force in, in Britain. speak bad of it. Yeah. Mm, like they, 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 they were, there were a bunch of atheists at the time mm-hmm. that people looked up to. Um, but like, it's just, it's, it, yeah, to speak bad of God in any form in the late 70s, even in 70s in general, it's, it was a huge, like, no. Yeah, and like the, the churches still had basically control of the school system and stuff like that, and they they had they had that um, discussion on a on a talk show, British talk show, at one yep. point in the seventies there with like around the, the time of, of a Life of Brian, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like you know they were they were actively buttonheads and, and pushing boundaries. 
I love this kind of stuff because this is just saying what you want to do, say what you want to say, and like actually using art as a way to express an opinion. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of times they try to to um, censor art. But I think, like, as art, whether or not we like it, like, you just let people do it. Like, if, even if mm-hmm. I disagree with it, I should still let the people say what they want to say. Like, they're using their art to express. Cool. Express what you need to express. Doesn't yep. mean I have to like it. Doesn't mean I have to agree with it. I can think you're a piece of shit for it. But <laughs> I still think you should have that medium to have it. I I kind of want to link this to, like, John Waters and Divine as well. Because they're also, like, line pushers when it comes to this kind of stuff with the movies that they made. It's just, this was more mm-hmm. comedic and theirs was, was more like, oh, I'm trying to think of the word now. I'm blanking. But anyway, so it was just a different way of expressing yeah. uh, an opinion about something. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so cool. Like, it's just such a cool concept to not force things in your way, but to take an artistic way to bring up a point. Right. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something where it's like you have the kids of the day because they were all like still young men and they were pushing the boundaries of something that, you know, it was being talked about. Right. So I mean, with mm-hmm. this film, it's, it's more about commerce and bureaucracy, right. And how things are done and how things get, how no one really looks at it. Right. And yeah. it says he kind of puts that little staple in there and kind of pushes it. It's a, and you know, it's just the character itself, you know, the character Dennis is not really, anything he's kind of a boring kind of mm-hmm. humdrum character that just kind of kind of falls backwards into things right yeah, yeah he, you know he even when he becomes friends with the guy who's cheating usually when he's, he's screwing the uh, the bar the bartender's wife mm-hmm. um you know and when he you know his untimeliness uh it's, it's like that and like all the the scenes of the men going to battle in the joust you know and how it's like pretty much like it's like a mechanic you know, they have to be bolted into these suits of armor yeah. and they have to, you know, they have to have pieces taken out so they can pretty much let, lo- lo- loosen their bowels and shit like that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's such a crazy little scene where you just see all these men, you know, bringing these people up, tying everything together, bolting everything down and kind of just letting them out just for one thing. Maybe they'll be able to f- survive. And you have all these guys kind of pretty much dragging these dead men out and it's just, you know, put another body on the on the on the uh, on the pit, and it's like, okay, next, mm-hmm. next. You know, yep. like, and it's just like how people. Another thing is, is that because of the Jabberwocky, it's another thing that is that the Jabberwocky is this big fear. You know, we had the fear last year with the COVID, and you know, a lot of people were buying more shit than they needed because they thought they were never going to leave their house. So mm-hmm. might as well pack up for the rest of the year. Just like like nine eleven was a whole big thing. We went to war because of it because we all thought there was some kind of entity there which we were all lied to about you know and like it's just this kind of fear-mongering to kind of help bureaucracy kind of continue its reign in a certain way mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah because you know, although yeah all the merchants they don't want the jabberwocky killed because yep. it's good for business so yep. and religion because people are going to church yeah they more people mm-hmm. going to church because yeah uh yeah the yeah the religious uh yeah, people depicted in this are fucking crazy as shit well, <laughs> I mean, even crazier on. yeah you know it's, uh, not, it's not even though this is 77 it still really hasn't changed much no it hasn't um the only the only other uh, real funny thing i just want to mention is uh at one point we get a giant fucking jabberwocky shit and I just go, I just, I'm just thinking to myself, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, you fucking hack. You, you obviously saw this in Jurassic Park, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I love this film. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy to watch. It's really funny. Um, maybe it goes on a little too long, maybe. Like, it, <laughs> it, like, it, like it, 
it could it could cut it could cut a little bit out yeah, of like I some of the some of the side characters exaggerated but, but i mean i'm not but the thing it. is it's also him kind of you know he he the pythons had started a studio production company um you know because they had made enough money where they can actually do this and they were like we, we want to make other people's films and gillian was one of the first ones um and you can mm-hmm. definitely tell that he had the car blanche and the you know the kind of like the open checkbook almost to kind of do what he wanted you yeah. know and if it was going to be almost it was it's you know it's it's gonna be a long one whatever and he's going to pack it in there as much as he can yeah. you know what i mean and it's just like it works as a as a first, like not technically first time filmmaker, but as his first solo effort. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely see all of the what we'd see in later films. Um, right on, right. The blueprint on this film would be what he would continue to make later on. He may change things and kind of work on add some things, but mm-hmm. mostly it's all there. Yeah. Right, right in this film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got anything else we want to mention before we get into like trivia and? things okay uh so budget for this was five hundred thousand pounds i believe uh it's it said dollars but i think it's actually pounds that they uh, calculated it in um no original box office although it did not make its money back but uh the (laughs) re-release in 2001 earned it uh nineteen thousand (laughs) dollars so there you go i think that the um that's like a general census with a lot of their movies. Like they don't do well in theaters, but they become like cult classics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do. I do want to mention, I really like the soundtrack for this. Like it's, it's a, you know, it, he's, again, he's just going cheap. Okay. We have a bunch of classical music. We don't have to pay for mm-hmm. and a bunch of D Wolf library music too yep. uh, stuck in there. So uh, it's, it's really good stuff. And a lot of this stuff actually pops up in like the Monty Python TV shows and stuff too, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, they actually have like a Python uh, album they released a few years back uh, that has like all this shit in it. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I have a record from them too. Oh, do you? Yeah, they yeah. put out a bunch of comedy records and yeah. stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can find this everywhere. Uh, yep. There's a yep. ton of DVD, Blu-ray releases, including Criterion. Criterion just uh, came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft Store, Fandango. It's on now. Prime if you're paying for mm-hmm. Prime. Yeah. Voodoo, movies anywhere. And it's basically everywhere. So. Yeah. Um, I just want to yeah. mention really, really quick. I fucking love Michael Palin. Like, I absolutely love him. I'm just going to put it out there right now. He was one of my favorite pythons. Him and Eric Idle, like, my top two. Yeah. But him, I just love his facial expressions. Like, he could just steal a scene without saying a word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, just want to say no, that. He, he's got, he's got that the most, he does have the most likable face kind of yeah. in, in, the, in the group, right? It's like he just looks like the everyman. That's why he was perfect for it. It's he just, was just, oh, I love him. Every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, I just want to like squeeze your cheeks and hug you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so although, you know, like we mentioned, not an official Monty Python film, it contains a number of apparent subtle nods and winks yeah. to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. So like Palin's character being called Dennis also yeah. played a Dennis and Grail. Uh, also in most scenes, the King appears to be holding the Holy hand grenade of Antinoch. Uh, <laughs> that is using ah, Grail <laughs> kill the killer rabbit. Right. Uh, in some countries, this movie was promoted and released as a Monty Python's uh, Jabberwocky, uh, yeah. which uh, yeah. Terry Gilliam clamped down on that pretty quick, though. He was like, "Yeah, he, he lost his shit about that stuff." Yeah, mm-hmm. he never liked that. 
And uh, the death of Cooper's father was inspired by writer and director Terry Gilliam's friend from the 1960s, who's, who's a folk singer and whose father had died. On his deathbed, he was raving and told her how much he had hated her and completely denounced her as his daughter. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's amazing, but sad at the same time. Yeah, that's, Gilliam- a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a story you, you drink out on. That's a, that's a thing. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, Joni Mitchell, you're not my daughter. I hate you. <laughs> but uh yeah that that's fucking it um that's fucking it that's fucking yeah. it man. uh i but there was more trivia but i was like eh, whatever um thank you very much vaughn for coming on it was an hey. absolute pleasure to have you on no uh, thank you i know was, I'm, I'm actually a very nice person i know i, I warned <laughs> I warned Lee before I came in here because it's like a tendency to kind of be a little acerbic. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of, I want to take it easy. Not, I kind of knew I wasn't going to have a problem with, uh, with Mr. Lee over here because he's such a good guy. It's a wonderful oh. guy. Is he um, though? <laughs> the interactions I've had with him so far, I mean, I've known him as you as long as you've known him, but well, I mean, yeah. I mean I've only known him for like a year. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what that says about you, Lady Lee, if, if you're questioning this shit. No, no. Um, My tastes uh, are very... I have to say, though, having bad. now having a woman on the uh, show, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to say this out because it used to be just a big sausage party, even though I do like Daniel um, mm-hmm. and I liked his opinions and whatnot because, he, you know, he's... But it's nice to have a woman on a show that's kind of normally mostly male-heavy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 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 a good, it's a good change. You know, I know Daniel's going to come back that. at some point, right? After his little hiatus, yeah. but, but it's it's yeah. a nice little change because you know I do listen to a lot of podcasts where it's mostly just guys talking in the microphones. Um, you know, it's just like their dick right in front of their face, and you're just like, oh, bah, 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 you know. <laughs> so it's nice to have some like a different voice and a different kind of point of view. So. Yes, I like so, that. I appreciate so, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, tell us uh, where people can find your sausage party podcast, Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh God. Um, so, uh, Motion Picture Massacre. If you've heard the promo, is a podcast about genre film, esoteric cinema, as uh, my ex-wife would call it. I kind of dig and find the sillier shit. To talk about, um, you can find it on motionpicturemaster.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. If you're online, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, it's MP Massacre. If you want to follow me on that stuff, and that's pretty much the easiest way to get in touch with me, anyway. So, mm-hmm. and I suggest you do. It's an excellent podcast. So, thank you. Yeah. So, anything you need to plug uh, this time around, Lady Lee? Go or? check out Vaughn's podcast. There you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah so uh, next time uh, we're probably going to be doing The Girl with a Pistol uh, older Italian flick with uh, Daniel Segura of Mustachio Picasso but apparently I'm going to have to kick his ass and make him remember that he's recording next week yeah Yeah. we'll just have to make him listen to it I'm on it Mm -hmm. um but yeah, if you want to find us, uh, the rest of our stuff, tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our Apple podcast, YouTube, Facebook, all that good crap. Join the Facebook group. Stuff happens there once in a while. You can make stuff happen if you post there. And uh, yeah, we're going to get the fuck out of here. Uh, nice. So uh, again, thank you, Vaughn. And uh, thank you, Lady Lee. And thank you all for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.